everybody. Welcome back to the Better Call Saul Insider Podcast, episode 504. Namaste. Namaste, everybody. Uh, I'm Chris McCaleb. I'm one of the editors on the show, though not of this episode. Uh, and uh, in, an, in an unusual twist, we have one of the two creators of this show, <laughs> my friend and collaborator, Peter Gould. Yay! How's it going, Peter? Uh, it's going so good. And we also, of course... Have uh, the co-host and longtime editor and great friend Kelly Dixon. Yeah. Yay! How's it Hi going, everyone. Kelly? Kelly's I'm on good. remote again. I'm on remote again. Um, it's a, sort of a rainy Saturday here in an undisclosed location. But thank you guys for including me. It's it's so nice to be a part of this. It's awesome to have you and, and uh, hear your voice on these episodes. Thanks, man. Um, They're really good episodes too. Oh my god. This is a very different um, sort of position that I'm in. I guess not the same. It's the same as last year, where I know I haven't read any scripts and I've only seen the episodes once, and it's really, really fun. I miss I miss being there, but it's really, really fun to do it this way. Well, I'm glad that you made the time and, and that we're able to make it work through the miracle of technology, yeah. um, some of which has been radically figured out by Joey Reinish over there. Thank you very <laughs> yeah, much, Joey. Joey. Yeah. Thank you so much. Had to for re-remember my uh, diagram from last season. Yeah, we have a. <laughs> this would be nerdy, but there's a. We have a flow chart that Joey made of the, to figure out how to get <laughs> to to make this work tech because this is all like borrowed equipment that Joey brought in his his board and because Joey has his own podcast that he he does and you know it this is a it's a labor of love and the fact that uh that that love is it enables us to you know speak from great distances is is, is he using a felt board or velcro or is it like granimals where it matches <laughs> by top and bottom of animals it's uh, it's it's just all held together with um, uh, fun tack <laughs> and um, Elmer's safe glue and safe scissors Fantastic. for children. Um, and the voice that you just heard is Ray Seahorn. Is Ray Seahorn? <laughs> Hi guys, so glad to be here. If you saw me right now, you'd see my ponytail just dancing up and down with excitement. And, and that, of course, with a pitch perfect Ray Seahorn impression, is Howard Hamlin himself. Patrick Fabian. That's right. Yay. I playing the role of Ray Seahorn all day today. Nobody and can say if you have any Ray questions, and it is, you have to answer them. Any Ray yeah. questions, I will, I will, I will cover handily. And yes. everybody, let's wish Patrick a happy birthday. Yay. Happy birthday, Patrick! By the time yes. you hear this, it will be long after that. Long after, but you know, I will. Here's the thing: what's good about me is I will accept birthday wishes and or gifts 365 <laughs> days out of the year. You know Excellent. where to find me on social media at Patrick Fabian, Mr. Patrick Fabian on Instagram. There, I already got that in. <laughs> and that's it. And by oh, the way, I wait. I'm just. I'm so impressed by this. How about that, Patrick? P Peter's impressed and also appalled at how shallow his, his, <laughs> his Howard Hamlin is, or perhaps pleased. I don't know. I, Patrick is an. You're an incredible follow on. Instagram it's it, it really is a it's really you're really good at it which that's a weird it's a weird it, thing to say I guess I but, know but I don't I think so it, it, it's it's but it, it everything the stuff you put up is is both uh great to look at but it's also very much I don't know with some people it feels like getting to actually spend time with somebody and and uh. maybe that's just my lack of social life that, that I'm <laughs> projecting onto social media but I I, I really do enjoy following her Instagram. Well, thank you. And Ray Seahorn's Instagram is equally interesting to watch, so follow her as well. <laughs> it's it, it's pretty good. Um, this episode was written and directed by the same person. What? And he's here in the room. What? And he's Gordon Smith. Yes. yes. And this was, this was Gordon's, am I right, this is your first professional piece of directing? Correct. Wow. He's a talented okay, motherfucker. Okay, we're going to talk about professional this. Professional directing. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> what was the other? What was the amateur directing that you did? We don't want to get into that. That's fair. <laughs> so, Gordon, yeah. that, what a what a journey that you've yes. been on. Are you, is it the end of my journey? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> and, and thank Am you I for done? playing. And, and goodbye. Uh, no, that's, that, that's, that I wouldn't be surprised. But I, I think at, in a uh, in a future podcast that we probably already recorded. Mm. I think Kelly, you kind of you. <laughs> You touched on this. Just I don't think uh, we were recording at that point. We maybe we weren't, and it's definitely uh, who knows if it's, it's still in the podcast. But just <laughs> I mean, what a what a what a journey you've taken with 
from from Breaking Bad through this yes. show. That's it's yes. it's kind of it's it's remarkable. We and found we he was a foundling. He was left <laughs> in a cardboard box outside the uh, outside the Breaking Bad offices. Yes, that's true. And we just saw this this little bearded baby. Yes. And, 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 and we, we thought, we thought he was. I don't think we he thought, had a beard at that point. We thought he oh, was so cute that uh-huh. we we took him into the writers' room and he would just play in the corner. And then, uh, you know, a few years later, he's writing and directing an episode. Amazing. I, congratulations, know, Peter. It's, it's, I, I think it's really, <laughs> must be so I'm proud. really just going to take credit for, for all yes, of Gordon's absolutely. success no, right yes, now, right yes. here, right now. Yes. So all of that. Gordon, what, what, what season did you start out on? Uh, I Dad? started out uh, as a foundling uh, in season three of okay. Breaking Bad. Were you the um, writer's assistant? No, I was a PA. I was an office PA. Writer's PA. No, I wasn't the writer's PA. I was we. I was hired in post, but we. That was the season that uh, Jenny Hutchison was going to get her freelance, and so everybody knew that everybody knew that that my goal was to write. But they also and they also knew that there was going to need more help in the writers' room to cover when Jenny was breaking her episode. So I kind of did a little split duty in season three with the idea that I would, you know move over to the writer's office yeah, full time Yeah, because like, here's four. a tidbit. Gordon was one of the people, if I, I hope I get this right, Gordon, you were one of the people that figured out how to get Vince on one of the hottest days in Burbank, Dairy Queen. Yes, that was, that was, uh, that was me and Jen in season four, <laughs> Jen, Carol, and I. Uh, we were trying to figure out, we, we did have to figure out um, in post on season four, getting, getting ice cream to the offices which was also an accomplishment. Cone, too. It <laughs> so, was a dipped cone. It was a dipped from, cone, yes. A dipped cone. It's yeah, yeah, no, hot the, out, and, and our and offices how trans- are, are... How to transport And that. how to transport how to things, transport and how to keep same. them cold, but also yep. not to crush them. It was, yep. it was, it was complicated. And what did you do? Uh, we devised a cooler with, a, with some... Uh, basically, we took... Uh, a space blanket. <laughs> no, no space blankets. We took the bottom uh, bottoms off of some like coffee, those like cardboard coffee-carrying... Uh-huh things and then set the cones in those at the bottom with ice and like cooling things around them and so we were able to keep the whole thing cold i don't know why we're it into was this, a drive yes it was Kelly, a drive this and... is what happened i mean wow. and we, well, we were able to bring cold dairy queen in the middle of uh the summer yeah. the office. And, and this no. and by the way <laughs> by what the... thing we're saying is you guys you and jen were getting dairy queen Figuring out how to how to MacGyver your way from Dairy Queen all the way through the, the right. hundred degree heat, and now you wrote and directed this episode. And Jen it, is they the were, associate they were, and producer those were back of Better back, Call Saul, really. and, and he's really, an Emmy nominee, yeah, one, Emmy one nominee. after the other. Those were. And just to be clear, uh, in an, in a later episode of this podcast, perhaps. Uh, Jen Carroll may appear, and she will not have been credited as associate producer. So I'm giving you a glimpse into the future. Ooh. Jen Carroll, associate producer. producer. That's wow. all. Oh, and, she, and she also produces the podcast, and we couldn't do any of this without her. So um, here's so. the key. Start out, have a great attitude, know how to like be MacGyver to get um, Dairy Queen, and you know, look at you know, you move up. That's the work, deal. Yeah, work your ass off. Don't be a jerk. Be really... You know, none of these things explain how I moved up. (laughs) Explain how Jen moved up, maybe. But uh, Gordon, were you nervous at all about being? I mean, because you've been on set as the writer, you've worked with a lot of directors. You you happen to be in a writers' room with some exceptionally talented directors. Too many. Yeah. So Uh, no, it was terrifying. It was really terrifying. And how did you prep for it? Um. The prep for the terror or for the... the yes, that, that is uh, I, what I mean. I didn't prep enough for the terror. I prepped enough, I feel like, for kind of the work. Like, oh, I'm going to need to have these answers. And, you know, I'd been living with the script. We started breaking this episode about a year ago. So from the time that we're recording this. And I f- we broke, we finished breaking it just, if I'm correct, I think we finished breaking it either just before or we had a couple of days left before the holiday break in 2018. And uh, so I had a long time to sort of think about it and kind of, you know, we kept refining, you know, Peter and I kept, and Tom and so forth kept refining the script and, and you know, getting it to where it needed to be. Um, but no, the emotional just like, as much as standing there and doing my job as a, you know, a writer and producer on set, which, which you know, I, I'm there and I'm present, but... Uh, 
didn't prepare me and I didn't I didn't think as much about how much it was going how much pressure you feel when it's like everyone's looking at you at answers and not only that when you give an answer it's probably going to go forward because like <laughs> you know if you're in the middle of it like obviously the the prep when I can discuss things with Peter and be like Peter what do you think about this let me bounce this idea off you that's great but like when it's you're there and you're just you have to say okay did was that take good do we need to roll another? Yeah. And you're like, uh, if we do, yes, we have to roll another. And like, you, every, everybody's going to get ready to do it, even if it means that the clock is, run, you know, time is always burning. I mean, so. let's be honest, you can only get Ray Seahorn to be good every now and then. So for you <laughs> as a director, it would be tough. It's right? like, it's more or less like that? Haley's Comet. Exactly. Um, <laughs> the, the, um, yeah. You know, managing anxiety is the hardest part of directing. Uh, and I think I, I said this to you. I've learned you know what, you're not going to sleep that much, and you just have to be okay with it. You, you just have to go. And I actually don't find the set as stressful as uh, the nights uh, after after and before. It's just your, your, mind, your brain is kind of whirring up at such a high speed that it's really hard to turn it off. And if you have any tendency towards um, anxiety or uh, self-recrimination, or second guessing yourself, all those things we're get all raising our hands. Heightened. Yeah. Yeah. Those things get heightened to the point of almost almost sickness. And uh, the one thing I've learned myself, I, this I'm so interested to hear this from you. Maybe I shouldn't even say anything, but I, I remember I, when you went through this, when you started this, what I flashed back to constantly was my first episode of Breaking Bad, uh, directing, and uh, which, which was also was that which was the... uh, was. 407, 407 um, uh, problem dog. Um, Such a good episode. And, uh, but I, but you, you, on the other hand, are uh, way smarter than I am. So no, I think that may, no, that, I, that's already an advantage. I, right there. That, that's uh, an untruth. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, you did tell me that. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. I won't. And I just thought you meant like, I'd be, I'd lose a few hours. I'd, I'd sleep a little <laughs> less well. But when, when you're like, no, I don't sleep. And, and I just didn't sleep. I just, I, I, could kind of doze for a couple hours every night and that was it and then I'd wake up and I just couldn't be and I'm like okay well I'm gonna go do my homework so I because I'm like I'm up and I can't I can't sleep there's nothing I can do to sleep so uh, I would try and at least be prepped for whatever was coming up if what was if if the things that I'd screwed up the day before were keeping me awake I would just be like all right well let's see if I can get ahead on anything that's that I'm going to screw up today. So <laughs> the, other, the other thing, I, I what well, this is all very familiar to me. Uh, the other thing that I I hope I said to you is it's funny because directing is not really physical work. It's just not. It's social. It's mostly social, and but you really benefit greatly from being the best physical condition that you possibly can because uh, the better the better you feel physically, the more likely you are to get get through. Get through the days, mm -hmm. and you, by the Stamina. way, you did such a wonderful, a wonderful job on this episode. And and uh, uh, I, I know that Patrick had a lot of problems with you. He did, uh, but <laughs> but but I, Bob Bob Odenkirk, uh, you know, went out of his way to let me know what a what a great job you he thought you did, and 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 how much he enjoyed working with you. And and uh, you also, I mean, you, you also the other thing about directing, and this this is something, this is key, is that success or failure is all determined before you get to set and breaking bad and better call Saul is a good situation for directors yeah. because they're given a uh, the best cast in television and also the nicest cast in television and that along with uh, uh, the best crew in television yeah. but when you're talking makes about it are you talking about prep are you talking about like uh, like being everything stacked in your favor Yes. Before showing up. So yes. they're, they're really, the, the surprises that yes. may reveal themselves yes. truly are surprises. I, I think of everything that happens before shooting as like dominoes. And like you're setting up the dominoes. And if you've done it right, uh, then hopefully on the day, you're, it's very gent you're just gently pushing over the first domino and everything, everything. Mm -hmm. Of course, it never works out that way. It's like but, I was going to say. But, 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 that never happened. But it, it does. It does uh, anyway, I. I was fascinated and kind of appalled that, that Gordon had the same experience, similar experience to yeah. mine. 
I was also, I was in terms of being, you know, prepped for success. I had a, a leg up on a lot of our directors in this case because, um, because of the way that we were shooting and because of the the, the shooting of the the movie, the El, El Camino that that Vince uh, had just directed, our normal DP, uh, Marshall Adams, had to unfortunately. Or he dodged a bullet. Well, it depends on who you, who, you talk, who you talk to about it. But uh, had to be in L.A. for coloring. So he couldn't DP the episode, which meant that we were going to have um, Paul Donahue, who is our, our normal A camera operator, step in as DP. Which the benefit that I got from that, not just because Paul is great and did a great job DPing, was that I was able to prep with him. Usually our DP is on set all the time, uh, which means that you don't get to sort of talk through shots and you don't get to talk through things during prep when you're, when, you know, when the crew's not all standing around looking at you. Um, so Paul was able to have about half of my prep. I had him with me to be able to go to the locations and be like, okay, well, what are you thinking about this? And you know, what, it, how does this feel? And what about, you know, what, what are the things that I'm not thinking of? What can we get these shots and so forth? It's um, a big advantage. It's a very big advantage. Like I, I, was really lucky to be able to do that because it was like we had uh, a variety of things in this episode that were complicated technically to put together. We had a big cross-cutting sequence with a chase and a this and a that and a, all this stuff. And it was like, okay, well, just practically speaking, talk to me. We had a bunch of shots that we were hoping to get and things that we c- couldn't get. And we had to be like, all right, what's what's the most efficient way? Because also we were shooting this in May uh, of 2019 and may in albuquerque you're getting into very long days and very short nights and we had five nights that had to be they were night exteriors including those chase sequences so our our nighttime was just short it was just really Mm -hmm. short and so knowing that like you know sunsets you get usable dark by nine and you lose the light you lose the dark by 5 a.m so Everything that you need to do needs to be prepped and ready to go, but you can't prep everything when the light, when it's, when it's daytime. So, you know, knowing that and being able to talk through with Paul, like, okay, realistically, how many shots can we get off here? What work do we need to move? You know, we had to shoot pieces of uh, Hank and Gomez's dialogue in another location because we couldn't, we just weren't going to have the time on the night in the actual location where they're stake, doing the stakeout. So you know, what, how do we make that work? How do we put all these pieces together? So Paul uh, was fantastic. And he's, he's a very um, laconic uh, Englishman, Liverpoolian gentleman, who's just super no nonsense and incredibly gifted with an amazing eye. So, you know, he was just like, nah. The one point that he spoke up when it was like, oh, well, what do you think? And, and he usually would just be like, well, what's whatever you want, isn't it? I'm like, all right, well, fine. But what do you think? And, and but, but the one point he spoke up was when we were choreographing uh, the the fight sequence with Mike. And he's just <laughs> like, no, yeah, headbutt somebody. Their nose is going to break. You get bloods. And, <laughs> and it was like, oh, oh, right. You have been to a soccer game <laughs> in a way that no one in the states has. <laughs> like, so, uh, so it was a, it was a great. Experience. He also grew up like in the, in the punk rock, rock scene in in London as well. Oh he hung God. out in, no, in the clubs yeah, and like, stuff like that. He's got wow. great stories. Yeah, I wanted to interject only because. Uh, from your transformation of uh, from when you started on Breaking Bad to now, of course, I know you only as a writer, straight up. And uh, was it three oh five the courtroom? Mm-hmm. Right. So my introduction to, to really to, to you on set like that—that's what I remember first. Really, I was I'm really aware of that, and I felt, and this might be being a writer with a director in front of you on set. I felt, if anything, you seemed more nervous for lack of a better word on that and then when you're helming it all this year i was like wow you were like uh you were like paul newman in 1968 you were just sort of like there you knew it was going on everything was cool and going and i wondered if being the writer having a having having a vision having worked it out and broken the story and done all that then you get a director who's capable good and wonderful but he or she just might be a different uh, vision of what's going on and so as a writer given your role on set, if you find yourself running up against, what can I say, how much can I say, because we do have a director here. And then now that you get to direct the whole thing, I felt like you're you're able to voice things and be able to talk about things. And uh, 
I found it really great. I, I mean, totally comfortable in your hands. And Ray and I talked about it a lot, you know. Uh, I thought you were totally in your element. So to hear I'm not sleeping and I have anxiety, yeah. of course, I'd love to hear that because I think, you know, I'm the only one who does that. That does not show, though. I think it's just that the conversations that had to happen on set with, between me and a director had to happen in my head in in, in this case. So oh, they're right. happening. And then I it all has to kind of fight itself out and then kind of come out and my, then you're okay. my mouth. Whereas I think when I'm on set, it's also it's just, you know, it's figuring out Okay, what what are what are we getting? What is the what is the director's vision? And they have to, I, yeah, it's it's being respectful of of what they're bringing, but being mindful. Like, there's a, the reason that we're there as the writers is like, we we know more about the big picture. We know more about the big picture than 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 than, than even the actors do at that point because you guys haven't read the free. The well, next let's script. not go too far, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like you, you only you only get the script that we're shooting right up right. to that point. That you are so exactly right. So we know yes. the kind yes, of so right. we know the future in a certain way that we can kind of bring there and be like, okay, well, we need to tag this a little bit harder or like this move that you're making. Can we dial it a little bit in this direction just because we kind of want to place the characters in a place for the next people to be able to pick up and and take on the the piece of the story. So. You know, it's 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 balancing those things. And in this case, yeah, I, I I was invested with both of those responsibilities, um, which, you know, and it was it was, as you say, Peter, like you are so primed for success because like we walk in and there's there's you guys who've been doing this for six years, five years now, right? Like years and years, you're you're in the characters. I don't need to ask you. What do you think Howard would do in this moment? You know what I mean? True. You know, because you've kind of done that work, but I can say, okay. I, I like this. How about we, you know, can we change that a little bit or or, or just do another one? I, at one point we- or, or Gordon can walk up to me and just sort of like have his mouth open and go, um, <laughs> and then I just realize that I'm just doing it poorly and I'll make, I'll give him like a multiple choice, faster, louder, better. And when I say better, he always goes, yes, let's do that. <laughs> well, that's one of the things that makes you so, such a dream to work with as an actor. Because oh, yeah. you can take, I, this from my experience, not from, uh, not from anyone else's, but I can say the stupidest, give you the stupidest note, and then there's this little moment where your eyes kind of rock back and forth as you <laughs> translate whatever it was I said into something you can actually use, something that's actable. And I see it, and you go, oh, okay, got it. And then you run with it. And it's it's just, it's it makes, it, I, I, this, I think we're all happy when uh, Hamlin's in a scene because you just make it all easier. It's just, it's just, you're just, you're just the, uh, the ingredient that makes everybody on the set. Wow. Everything goes a little bit more smoothly uh, when you're there. And that's just, that's Patrick as a person, not just as a, as, as a performer, as a performer Thank also, you. there's, as a performer, there's another dimension too, which is, uh, you know, the, all the, all the, Many wonderful choices you've made. Well, it is my and birthday, it's, isn't it's, it? I like uh, this. <laughs> well, no, but it's it's it, it. You know, and it's an interesting thing because I think when we we've talked about this before. You know, we started our journey with Hamlin. You know, he was kind of straight up the the villain of the yeah. piece or the opponent. It seemed like in the pilot, that's where we were going. It felt like, and and as we explored this guy, uh, he 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 has he has a there's a lot more to him. He's got a Namaste license plate That's now. Right. Now, he does. Yeah. now he does. Yeah. I love the new shades Which, that we're getting to see. Yeah. yeah. In a certain way, the thing that I find interesting is he's becoming, he he's coming back. I feel like he's coming back into being Jimmy's nemesis by by not being the guy that we thought he was in in the That's, pilot. Right. It's almost right. more maddening. Right. It's almost more maddening yes. to, yeah. to Saul Goodman that there's right. this guy who isn't a jerk when he should be. Isn't is is has kind of processed his grief and has been able to kind of work through some things and like is genuinely being generous of spirit towards this guy like hey come work with me like that's <laughs> that's maddening for for Jimmy at this point it's, it, it's, it, they really are they're they're two in a way that these two guys are both victims of their relationship with Chuck uh, with these with these really dysfunction and and with Howard you can picture it has something to do with his father too, who he's mentioned. But they're both victims of of, of this of you know Chuck's you know enormous trail of destruction oh, that absolutely. this guy left, and, and Howard has dealt with it. 
I mean, obviously, I, I'd like to think so. Yeah. Yes. He's dealt with it better. He's dealt with it a different way than Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. A, a different way. Uh, and like, I, was, I thought one thing's so interesting about that scene is that Howard invokes Chuck's name without it being like a dropping like a bomb for him, mm-hmm. but it does drop like a bomb for uh, for Jimmy. And yeah. this, he by the way, the scene we're talking, about, we're kind of jumping around yeah, here, but there's that scene. Which I think is really in fork, in yeah. some ways the heart the heart of the of, of the episode or one of the hearts of the episode, which is when Howard has this 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 open hearted appeal to Jimmy. Yeah. And and talk think, about that. No, I mean I think that's the interesting thing is that like as you say he's not he doesn't get choked up about saying oh well, that's between you and Chuck or or his his legacy with Chuck. The moment that you get a little choked up is saying Charlie Hustle, which is your old nickname for him. And I remember when we were doing that, you know, you talk about directing who's getting out of the way sometimes. It's like we had done it and we'd done done the piece of coverage and we'd we'd run one take of it and it was great. And I was like... you got you had done it. You you nailed it in one, and I was like, "Well, I'm not going. I'm, I want another take because <laughs> like there's no way we're walking <laughs> we're away without another one. take. <laughs> like just for for safety of anything else." And I'm just I went up to you and I'm like, "Just just try something. Just do do what you want." And I had no idea what you were gonna do. And you that's and you kind of took it to a little bit more heartfelt like. That was when that the sort of choked up moment came yeah. out, and that's what we use. And it's it's like, and it was like, oh, perfect. That well, was I, that, that was what that should be. It was and great. I got that cookie from you as well. So you're right. You know, you let us sort of do our thing, and we did our thing. And and uh, as an, any actors out there, so I'm I'm in a scene with Bob, number on the call sheet, and it's Bob Odenkirk and all that stuff. And I still suffer from I'm sitting down in a scene next to Bob, and there's a part of my brain that goes, "You better be good because it's Bob." <laughs> <laughs> or worse yet, I think. Oh, Bob's so bored, he can't believe you still have this role. I mean, shit like that still goes through my brain, right? But I was sitting there and we're doing this thing and like Gordon said, we had done it. And I guess for lack of a better word, I felt like it was, uh, we had serviced the scene. There you go. We had serviced the scene. Yeah. Perfectly good take. It's totally usable. We had hit all of our marks and it feels like that. It, it, and that's okay because sometimes it's just, just what you have to have. But then when Gordon came over and sort of gave me a green light, or at least let me know that he knows that we also have serviced the scene, that we've we've got something in the can that we can use. And so it, it isn't like now make up something. It's not like now run off the rails of what the writers have done or the director has given you in the scene. But I think it does mean exactly that. It allows you to maybe um, allow the depth charge to go a little bit further. And I hate to use the word indulge because God damn, you don't want to be an actor who's indulgent. Uh, but you want to be, I think, an actor who's responsive to moments that have given you permission to drop down a little bit. And since we've earned it over a couple of seasons, a moment like that, like the Charlie Hustle thing, I think the reason that became uh, a little hitch in his voice is because it really is, to your point, Peter, uh, a touchstone of a moment where had I been able to behave without Chuck's influence, I was the kind of guy who called him Charlie Hustle and would have given him a coldly different life. And so that plugs right into the guilt, the follow through of everything else. And so to be able to revisit it is also where Howard's at of saying like, oh, it's never too late to say you're sorry. It's never too late to do the right thing. Here's a chance for me to make amends literally. And by invoking that invokes, you know, hopefully something for him too. Of course, it does invoke something for him, but it's something I, uh, I don't suspect later on. <laughs> right, right, right. But that going all the way back to in the moment, there we are at Fork shooting it. And we've done a pass and we're good and we've got a couple of things and ga, ga, ga. But then that happens and then that wonderful thing happens where as you're floating through the scene, I'm recognizing that things are going on, I, that talking and listening is really happening. And there's colors coming out that are great. And I'm seeing stuff in Bob's eyes that are like, hey, maybe I'll pay attention. He's pretty good. And, um, <laughs> and, then, and then we get through the scene and I see Gordon's eyes. I see the director's eyes come over and I see it. And I know we've done good. And when he says, you need anything else? I'm like, oh, I don't need anything else. Yeah, yeah. We're not capturing that again. Boom, and we move on. And the whole crew feels it, and that feels good. And that's those moments where you go like, oh, this is, everyone's cooking. And yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah, no, that was great. That's a long story, sorry. That's, yeah. a, great, oh, that's, that's a great story. That's fantastic <laughs> insight. And, it, and it all, I think it also, uh, I, that it helps us kind of get to when they're outside the restaurant and that hug. That hug, <laughs> th- I've been thinking about that hug. That that's like it's such. I mean, an episode with a lot of visual flair and a, a lot of, of memorable things, like the bowling balls. Obviously, that hug is what, and it's a beautiful shot. That that really great 
shots near silo a near silhouette yeah for, for part of it yes oh, and that hug is just it, it's unexpected and it really i mean what a i mean talk about a journey i mean a journey that that we've taken with with howard and that yeah. howard's taken with himself too and yes the hug was uh the hug was good yeah. it, it hug, felt it felt good the hug was also one that was a moment though where i was like all right we did we did it once and it was like okay that's that's a good hug just hold him till he can't get it. just like yeah. just make it as long <laughs> as you can do it so that we had some flexibility and i think we we found a length that's uncomfortable without it feeling unnatural but uh, we we definitely did some that takes that were completely unnatural where you're just like holding him and he's like squirming like a it's the cinemax version so yeah. there's yeah. there's this wonderful uh uh sound that the two uh, men in suits make they, as they clash as they clash and it was Nick Forshiger we just mixed did the sound mix for this episode uh, this this week and it's just that moment that moment it just makes me smile every time because uh, it's sad for Jimmy because Jimmy cannot accept I mean it's funny but it's also it's also kind of sad and pathetic too because Jimmy can't can't accept this can't accept uh, it. you know so there 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 you go and I, I have to ask since we're talking about cast you got to work with Dean Norris yes. I mean, one yeah of the, one of the yeah. oh man Hank and Gomi Hank and Gomi Hank and Gomi yeah. of course they made their first appearance this season in the previous episode and and you did such a wonderful job of writing and directing these two guys on the stakeout thank, thank you I mean I, I the directing was mostly just letting them run because they're they they're great they're both great and they've been there uh they've done those characters so much and they really had kind of slipped in slipped back into them yeah so it was like we may have even mentioned it last week's podcast which we haven't recorded yet but uh, (laughs) that that, that, that is it it definitely i found incredible is how it's just they plug right in and it's like they've been there the whole time and it doesn't feel weird or 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 uh uh, incongruous it's just it just feels right and, well, I know and it that, feels right for the story too at that moment I know that we always talk about this every year it's like I know that you you Peter and you guys in the writers room you're always trying to figure out how to bring these people back but not make it like all you know just you know messed up and and like a you know just fake and that was perfect to bring them back. Yeah, I thought. yeah. I, I'm so happy the way you know, see uh, Dean and, and Stephen come back as these characters again. I mean, it's just it's it, it was just spectacular. Yeah. It's and spectacular I, to see them slip slip into back into the, into the, into these clothes. I think it's also like we were saying about all all of our cast is that they're all they're really all like finely tuned sports cars. So and they've been doing it so much. Everybody's such a pro that you can give them very small adjustments, or even just tell you like things that I would not be able to to give an adjustment. There was a shot with Dean where it was like he's he's aiming the gun down the barrel of the camera, and I'm like I I I don't know, at least lift it a little. It was it wasn't, it wasn't right, and we could we all knew it. And he's just like. And he's pointing it, and, and we're like, is, he's like, how about that? And we're like, um, and he goes, okay, so you want it here. And he just moved it because he knew we, he kind of went by, by our reaction that it was wrong, that he's like, okay, then it's got to be something like this. And he could kind of gauge better than we could on a monitor 15 feet away what we were looking for just by the fact that it wasn't right. You know what I mean? And, and did so you all was, go, yes, 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 stay exactly. right there. That was exactly <laughs> it. So, it was, you know, we didn't have to say, you didn't. Sometimes the the adjustments don't have to be things like, you know, let me tell you something about your character or anything like that. You can just be like, you know, I'm looking for this. Can we speed this up a little? Can we try this a little? And you you know, small things, which the which you guys are so good at, and can you, you know what we're looking for? If it's like, hey, maybe maybe just a, a a bit faster, that becomes a note that kind of carries through everything because you 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 know how to what we're looking for then and what's what's missing. Um, so that was, that's incredibly liberating because you're not having to sit there going to worry about all the tech technique or worry about how to phrase something that's going to be appropriate. It's just, uh, something's not quite working for me. Can you fix it? And then you guys go, oh, okay. If that's not quite working, I'll try something. And then, you know, you're, you're, you're starting to like figure out what it is. It's really, it's, it's, I love everything you're saying. I mean, it's about collaboration. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, when, when. People talk about directors or any of these 
it's just the feeling like everything's growing out of the you know it's like it's like it's coming fully formed out of the head of one person and the truth is that this is all kind of a very sophisticated kind of play uh and i mean you know like child's play and the amazing thing about working great actors is they have facility to make to make changes and make them feel organic and it looks it looks to the outside it looks effortless for to us, and it's, and, and especially those of us who've done a little bit of acting, you realize what an amazing high level you guys are working at, and it's just, and that's 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 a big that's a part of the fun. You know, you don't have to say that Jonathan Banks has already left the building. So yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, I do want to ask you about somebody about else too. I would, well, no, I, she's right here. She's right here. She's right here. She's right. But Thank what you, about Peter. what about what about Barry Corbin? Barry Corbin, oh, fantastic! Oh, he's so yeah. good. So he's good. So, good. Uh, so such a such a sweet guy, and you know, having seen him years ago uh, in uh, Northern Exposure, and at, you know, he has such a long storied career. War so games. He's such a War games. I just watched him War in War Games, games a couple yeah. of weeks ago. <laughs> um, so he, yeah, he was great, and he brings a certain kind of uh, just plain authenticity just of himself that that you know he didn't have to in fact that was that was mostly what i had to do is just be like you don't need to do this do as much just be a little bit more yourself you're you're there you don't need to you don't need to push it because it's this it's already there you're already there um can i can i ask you something too gordon i mean because it's really nice to have a perspective of a, a writer's, you know, a writer's perspective in the writer's room and also a director. We get that very, every once in a while, we get that um, out of this show. But I'm very curious because, you know, I'm always curious about the writer's room and how you guys, you know, juggle things. But the, I mean, obviously you have to do a lot of work with Jimmy Saul, but boy, are you guys doing a whole lot of work with what's going on with Kim and I mean, even Kim is beca- is her own, is a very quiet, a much quieter like strategic st- st- strategist. I guess mm-hmm. that's the right word. Strategist in this in this case, because as I watch, I'm watching how she's dealing with Mesa Verity, and I'm watching how she feels about Barry Corbin's character, and then I'm watching how she's bringing in Jimmy on this play. And I'm just very curious about how you guys talked about that in the room. Uh, yeah, I mean, to juggle the storylines, well, Peter has a juggling apparatus that we use, but uh, <laughs> beyond that... Writers from humor. <laughs> beyond that, uh, we I think it's a question of figuring out what is pressing like we, we we know that all the characters are there and so we'll sort of talk about like is it pressing to follow the next piece of their journey right now mm-hmm. um and you know it, it, after a certain period of time people be, you know different storylines become more pressing because it's like well we haven't we haven't dealt with that in a little bit it, it, it that that's clearly something that should come up so um so in this case we had a lot of stories that felt pressing at the at this moment that we felt like well we don't want to leave off what the effect of the last episode's conversation with Jimmy and and Hank and you know uh uh Domingo so we felt like we needed to follow up on that so that needed to be a a piece and we felt like you know knowing where Jimmy was was at was going to be important in order to figure out what he's going to do relative to Kim's story so I think it was just sort of peeling the pieces apart and then we start to once we've gen- figured out what the pieces that feel like we need to be playing with at, at any given moment we start to see how we can stitch them together and how that's going to be how they're going to make a journey so like you know we wanted Kim's story we knew that she she's she's in this position with uh, Mesa Verde and and um and Mr. Acker but at the same time we're like She's not just going to jump to going to Jimmy and asking him for help because mm-hmm. because of all their backstory. We know that that's not going to happen. So, okay, so what she what is she going to do? Well, she's going to try something that's a more legal play. What does that look like? And then mm-hmm. we sort of break that out. And then you know we 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 came up. We had the scene, which by the way we should I should say the big scene with uh, Jimmy in the courtroom which may seem far-fetched to some people, is actually based on a real story, Peter, that you and, and Ray, I believe, I love were that. He, uh, heard with a conference of lawyers. That's right. Um, that's right. If it was an actual 
thing that a, a trial lawyer pulled uh, in to, California. In California, not New Mexico. No. Did it work? Uh, I think it. All I heard for sure is that the uh, the judge was very unhappy. Uh, <laughs> as was this judge. When I when I saw that, I was like, "Oh man, that's like a bait and switch little league play." That's like that's really great. I thought it was really fun. But part of part of seeing that scene, we felt we felt it was important for Kim to be watching Jimmy at his most solish in the moment, like right. to see, okay. If you're thinking you want this guy, you want that guy. Uh, that, that guy who has declared himself Saul Goodman and is willing to do Saul Goodman things like this. This is, mm-hmm. this is some tricky shit that he's pulling. Um, and we wanted Kim to have to sit there, see it, and still say yes, and still say that's the guy that I, I need on my team at this moment. And as an audience member, you know, I, think, I always think of Kim as being the lens at which we watch the show. I think of Kim as being the heart of the show in terms of us w- wishing wishing that the inevitability of what happens doesn't happen. And so uh, so sitting in that courtroom with her, mm. you get to really start to wonder about our judgment being on her shoulders as well because you know she's sticking with him and now she's making choices that maybe you aren't so mm-hmm. excited about it. and so it's yeah. weird it's like you know for, for much as we love we love jimmy and all that stuff we're like we don't want to make you this choice there's sort of a, an acceptance of like well we know he has to make certain choices because we know what happens we know in where he's going bad. she's but with she's kim, the only right, one where we don't know she's so, the only so, one so i think it's that weird thing of we're so closer and we assume that she's always going to make the right quote unquote choice that when she sits there and continues on saying no, I think then we, as an audience member, get to go ahead and start to get ourselves contorted as well, saying, mm-hmm. well, what is right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and what is love? And I, that's what I, So that moment of witnessing her, this is why I love watching her, because what's going on in her heart and her head, uh, she allows us to see through her eyes. So sitting there and just viewing, you get a real sense of uh, the conflict that's in her. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting because in this episode, I find her more enigmatic. Mm-hmm. Or I think we struggled we struggled more with Kim because, as you guys say, Jimmy's path. I don't know if it's clear. Uh, there's there's still there's still he still has a long way to go before he he becomes what he becomes. I think, but but she is. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about where's Kim's head at. We probably, at the beginning of the series for the first few seasons, we spent all our time saying, where's Jimmy's head at? And I think now we spend just as much or more time talking, where's Kim's head at? And she's um, she's kind of, it's also, there's a certain logic to it, to just to add on to what, what Gordon said, is that if she's going to be a corporate lawyer for a bank, there's going to be things that she does that may not feel good to her, that mm-hmm. may not feel is a lot of the things that we think about are what's the difference between what's legal and what's right and and where's where where's where's that line and what's what wh- where does morality come from? Is it something that we're born with? Is it something that we learn? Uh, how do we figure out how to how to make a path in this world and, and when to sacrifice ourselves uh, for the the greater good and how you figure that out and when it's when it's good to be uh, an Anne Rand an Anne Rand person and be kind of selfish uh, those are all things that I, I think we talk about a lot with these with these characters and here is here's Kim uh, with you know with this. Uh, on the other side of this this uh, this problem with this really can- can- cantankerous old bastard, uh, you know, it's one of the things about casting Barry Corbin. I, I really think he was the only guy for this. But but uh, when we when we were writing it, we really were focused on trying to make him as uh, unlikable as we could under the circumstances. So you know, he doesn't. There's no special pleading about him raising his family in the house, or or uh, or, 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 or and he's nasty to Kim. Uh, you know, he there's no moment where you see him doddering or almost tripping. You don't see he doesn't seem physically frail. But for all the things that we worked on to try to make him a cantankerous old bastard, I love him on sight. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, but I think that does that helps to. I, to make him a cantankerous bastard, even though we do love him on site. It, it, when we were talking about it, it helped clarify the point, I feel like, because yes. it's like if it's about sentimentality or she just has her heartstrings pulled, that's not about right and wrong. That's about feeling bad. That's yep. somebody made you feel bad. Like you, and that's a different emotion, you know, that's a different, that's a different reaction even. Um, I think 
to some degree, the the bowling balls that that Jimmy hucks at Howard's car are, <laughs> about, are also about clarifying that point that he doesn't he's not acting out at Howard when he is you know when when Howard has done something bad to him yes. <laughs> when Howard has done anything bad to him at all it's it's a, he goes he he takes a lot of trouble to do this mm-hmm. for nothing there's no gain all the other hijinks that he pulls in the episode with the with his or, or for his client or, or even with with Acker it's for Kim they're, they're they make sense and so I felt like I think it was important for us to see him do something that wasn't just like when we're asking this question of like what is it for him to become Saul Goodman is it just him doing things that are a little bit outside the law or is it about and I think one of the things we've talked about is his rage there's a sort of rage to Saul Goodman there's a kind of anger that that, that that his grief has sort of compacted into this white hot ball of rage and it takes almost nothing and sometimes it's not really directed at a thing it's like there's no it's not even you that, that I think uh Patrick that that he's sort of acting out against or, or Howard it's just it's just that you you poked his little white hot ball of rage right. and he didn't even and it took a while he didn't even realize it at the time and then it was like you know I've got time on my way home <laughs> What if I just destroyed his car? And How about you know that? what? It's also it's. I love <laughs> the way uh, you have Bob, how boy Bob plays it too in that moment. Uh, outside Ackers, he's just accomplished something huge because he's gotten Kim to ask not Jimmy McGill but Saul Goodman for help, and he he seems to mm-hmm. feel great. He has that call with her. He's going to go home to the woman he loves, mm-hmm. and she started. It seems like she's starting to accept his choices in life, and he's feeling great. And then he goes and does. It's not even like he's like self-medicating because he feels depressed. It's just he feels great, and this is just something he does. Yeah, and it's 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 uh it's, makes, it's enigmatic. It's fascinating. It's I, almost it, like it, refusing it, to accept his own victory. That's yeah. that's right. Yeah. It, that's it is, right. It is an undercut because I don't think. And this talk about you shouldn't be thinking of other actors or other uh, other characters, but it feels like an action that he must know somewhere. There's going to be an echo or a consequence for it, and nonetheless, he does it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no upside. There's only downside. There, right, there is no upside. Yeah. The clean play is to I've got Kim. We're we're good, and there's there's nothing. So it's that weird dual life, right? It's like yeah. what's the dirty thing that I'm doing on the side that nobody knows about that, of course, everyone eventually will know about. Yeah, yeah. I'm not speaking for there's, myself. I'm not speaking. Well, there's for myself. so much. I mean, <laughs> these characters. I mean, it's the beauty of, of doing what we do is that we get to live with these characters for years and years, and they get more they get more layered as we go. So Can we talk about you destroying my Jaguar just for a second? Can yes. we spend yeah. some time on yeah. the mechanics yeah. do, of let's that? Let's do that. Yes. A lot of people don't sure. know that is your car. That is my car. Yeah. Was, I mean, they, they pay me. Uh, Sony pays me. Let's be clear about that. But I had to bring my own car in order yeah, to get cast. Yeah. And uh, so I'm waiting that for it to be cast. Very, very com- it's very Incredibly common. Handsome. They told me they did Incredibly this handsome yeah. man with Jaguar. I said Travolta did it, so I said, okay, yeah. you know. Yeah, uh, the mechanics of it were very complicated. Because um, it was fascinating when I got there, because I didn't know what I, I... Honestly, I thought Paul maybe might be coerced into throwing a ball because he'd been, right, he'd been right. at soccer. I thought maybe he knows about this. But this is one of those moments where you go like, well, how does this actually happen? Well, it's not as clean and simple as you think, and it yet is. It's sophisticated, it's engineering, it's all the things I know nothing about, and it was great to watch. Please. Yeah, no, no. Uh, our, we, had to, we had several cars that matched your car. The one that, that you brought onto the set, um, and we had we had fake bowling balls because we didn't want to damage things, like when and because we didn't want to make Bob hurt himself throwing them. Um, but then, in order to actually accomplish smashing up the car, uh, Werner Heinlein, our great SFX coordinator um, who does all our practical effects, uh, had an air cannon. That was very, they, they tested, so they knew to within a certain degree of tolerance what level of pressure would give what distance uh, and what arc, essentially, at what degree. Uh, and so they dialed it in, and then they, we, we marked off where the car was parked it, with tape on the ground. And they, they also did a, uh, a it's the craziest thing. They took a couple of C-stands with a metal outline, and they matched it up to exactly the angle and spot where the back windshield would be. 
And then they started lobbing balls. They started <laughs> testing to make sure that they were going to land on the hood and they were going to land so that, so they, they could mark them out. They, they just marked them out based on, mm-hmm. okay, that one went too far. Okay, that was too short. Okay, that one went straight through the hole. Like that's what we needed to do is have it go straight through the hole. And then only after they had done that, they took all of that stuff away, rolled in one of the other cars. We had a couple of, of bodies and then started hucking real bowling balls in that machine. <laughs> but that first time, I remember watching that first, the first time after, after the rehearsal, he was like, okay, great, we got it. Yep, that's the spot. Yep, ready to go. Yeah. And then they put a real car right there and they get ready to roll. And that's when all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm glad I'm not the director. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and to, also, I forgot. They, they're, so when, they, when they're doing this, because they have to use Bob's throwing fake balls, but they had to, in order to dial in exactly where it went, those were real bowling balls that they have to shoot, but they also don't want to damage anything still and they don't want to smash the bowling wall because it's on a hard surface so they're the the fx team is sitting there with a blanket catching the bowling balls before they hit the ground and we're, everybody else is like i don't want to be anywhere near this flying bowling ball in the air and we're all dodging back and like cowering and they're just standing there calmly it flies up and you know they catch and werner looks at it and is like okay uh dial it down about two pounds and just calm as can be n- completely unaffected by it um, but all this is, you know, to, to get back to uh, Patrick and, and how great he is, but uh, we're you. doing this and it's, <laughs> I, this takes hours, you know, this takes a long time. And we had, as, as I said, we had a limited day, limited night. daylight or at night? No, this is all night. Dead and and oh, it's oh dead at night. Oh and so we're running up against it and we're looking at the clock and we have to smash the car before we can do your scene. <laughs> So we're we're getting we're we're starting to anxiously watch the sky to see if it starts lightning, and it was by the time we finished. So we're like, I'm like, okay, be good, Patrick. <laughs> like, it was just like, and you and you did. You came out. You we we and you know we had to do a couple of a couple of sizes and a couple of takes on it, and it was they were all great. And I was like, oh, thank God, because you know we'd had we'd done all of this, and kind of the climax of the scene is your reaction. If we didn't get that reaction, I feel like it would have been kind of truncated because we want to sort of Jimmy's Jimmy's I, I wanted to see at least the difference between Jimmy's reaction which is actually pretty subdued he's just kind of like okay cool great I'm off <laughs> versus Howard's what what but what <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and there's another point so it's it's the end of the day practically speaking it's the end of the day at the end of the night the, the lights coming up I'm aware of this I realize like we're 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 three shots away right a wide and, and maybe a punch in and stuff like that and and, but it's the cameras are still on the ground and they're down, and so I'm still removed from the of the of the hardware, and so that's when I really, as an actor, literally I'm on a balcony like I'm Juliet. There's a broken car in front of me, <laughs> like it's Tybalt, and then uh, then there's all these people who are you know frankly they're waiting to go home. The the main money shot of the night was getting that bowling ball right, and now they're expecting me to come up and do my thing, which is totally great. But that's when I have to rely on Gordon to let me know what I'm doing. Because I think I know what I'm doing, and I and then, but you also don't want to do nothing, but you also don't want to overreact, and also he has the knowledge of what he saw in the front half of the scene, so I I know none of that, and that's why you have to have that trust and that give over to the director. And so I come out and I do my thing, and then I get a couple of notes from him, you know, a little bit smaller, a little bit less, or you know, look over here, uh, maybe it's a technical thing, and then all of a sudden you do that, and, and in this instance, I felt like I don't I don't I don't know if I really did a whole lot, and yet. I was at ADR, and I've talked to them, and the people who've looked at it in the editing bay are just like, hey, that was really good. Which, of course, sends me driving home going, what the fuck did I do? What did I do? You you did exactly what you wanted. wanted. And it's great. It's it's a a very funny moment. It's very subtle. It's a very deadpan it's all there. It's 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 uh, and you know you can think of a million other ways to play it that wouldn't work. You could have him come run. Howard could have barreled out with his yeah. with his hair all messy and his Why pajamas. We go. What the hell? You know, and then you know, come out with a shotgun, yeah. broken cigar. But, but again, I think that is a testament because you're as, as you say, like you're very aware. Everyone's always aware when you're on set that just time is time is burning yeah mm. like you can just imagine there's a pile of money and every time every <laughs> second that passes some elf is burning a bill and you're like oh god oh god the elf is burning that whole pile <laughs> and like you know it you see it you see that stupid elf Those damn and like elves. so but there's a there's this there's this feeling <laughs> like oh god we, ha- we have to get the better get this done and like but you're you also have to kind of be able to 
fight that. And I think you you were able to be like, no, I, I understand that everybody needs to go home and we're all tired and it's the middle of the night and the elf is burning money, but <laughs> this is what mm-hmm. needs to happen to create that stillness in the character. This is what needs to be, yeah. that moment needs to be something else than, than all than of that, that other nonsense, yeah, 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 yeah. nonsense. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know how you do that. <laughs> like I was sitting there going, Oh God, Oh God, with the time and like, Oh, the elf and all of that stuff. Um, the and panicking and just yeah. hoping, you know, I think, I think mostly there, just but... broken self-esteem. So, yeah. <laughs> Elf-esteem. Elf-esteem. Uh, Elf-esteem. Hey, Gordon, hey, Gordon yes. be- before we finish, um, I'd like to ask you a little bit, of, if you could talk a little bit about like the intercut sequence, mostly about Gus and Lyle and cleaning that fry. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> and, what, and what Gus was really kind of doing. Because I, I, my feeling was he was very, very concerned about this dead drop, but Lyle was definitely a, a factor in there. And so I'm wondering mm-hmm. what your thoughts were, you know, in, you know, in creating that sequence. And also, you know, if you could talk a little bit about the manipulation of Gus, I guess. Sure, sure. Um, I think, you know, this is a question when you say, when you ask about like, how do we start fitting these pieces together? Mm-hmm. We knew we wanted to see the kind of takedown of the dead drops, but we were asking like why are we seeing this like this not what these are not our these are not our main characters mm-hmm. can't we, we could deliver that as a line of dialogue to one of our main characters that is impacted by what's happening um but we felt like it was important to see so we wanted to give this so that's when we started saying okay well who's who's impacted by this gus is impacted by this he's he's taking a big financial hit and he knows he needs to do it for a variety of political reasons to keep keep macho in play and to keep other to keep the sort of status quo of this double agent game that he's got going with mm-hmm. the Salamanca side of it's the cartel. It's a very calculated decision to do it's this. It's a very calculated decision, but we also we wanted to show, hey, does Gus feel and we know he does. We want we we don't want him to be an automaton. We you know, there's a coldness and a calmness to the character that's great, but uh, we wanted to be able to illustrate some of his inner life and we wanted to illustrate and we're like, okay, you know, it's one of those things where shit rolls downhill. So who can he pick on? Who can he, how does he act out? What does it look like for Gus to act out? Is it him screaming and throwing things? And that doesn't seem right. But he quietly tortures poor Lyle, basically. Yeah. <laughs> he, he quietly tortures uh, Lyle played, who did a great job. Uh, Harrison Thomas did a great job. Uh, Again, our, our Lyle, as always. Um, and so he picks the one guy who would do anything to please him and acts slightly displeased and knows <laughs> that that's just going to be enough to drive poor Lyle crazy. And he'll do anything. You know, he'll stay late for no money and he'll he'll do whatever it takes to kind of please this this person. And so I think, you know, Gus, I don't think it's any necessarily pleasure from torturing him but i think he still needs to do it i think it's a it's an acting out it's like medicating it's almost. a little bit of medicating while this tension is ratcheting up because he's waiting for that phone call to say yes everything went everything went off because right. it, could, it might not have gone off um and even if and and his calculations are so precise that small deviations not that he can't handle them we know that he's very capable but it's better if they go off. It's better if everything works out as in the way that he wants it to, even if the way that he wants it to, and I think we see this at the very end of the scene, is the, it seems to me very clear from what Giancarlo does, the way that it's supposed to go doesn't make him happy. Like he's yeah. still, he's pissed. He yeah, needs, of course. This is not a situation that can continue. He needs to take some other steps. So, uh, you know, it remains to be seen what one, those other steps are. One of the things I love about this scene is that, you know, any We've all seen a million car chases or you know, SUVs driving fast, and and but to see it intercut with poor Lyle, somehow it puts, <laughs> it, puts the, it puts the whole thing under the uh, under the umbrella of Gus Fring, as yeah. you're as you're saying, and it just it it makes it makes it feel very original to me, and of course, Dave Porter's score. Is uh, is just is just awesome, yeah. and, and really really pulls pulls it all together. I mean, it, it ties is, the room together. It pulls it all together. I mean, it's it's and for your especially you know we gave you all this really tough stuff to do in your first your first outing directorially, and you just pulled it off. I mean, Thank all that you. night shooting 
with the you know the chase it, the chase and, and all that burning all that money yes and it's it's, was, it's that uh, was unnecessary frankly <laughs> I didn't know, need the what elves. union are those elves it is, in <laughs> it's a very interesting thing because there's uh, you have to be aware of it and then you have to not be aware mm. of it and it's it's uh, it's a very tough thing and when you see uh, I watch a very experienced directors. And it's sometimes it's like watching someone uh, like windsurf or ski, where they're kind of they're kind of working with the elements, and they seem to effortlessly be moving through moving through that, and they don't seem to be aware. Oh, there's a you know there's a mogul up there, or, or you know what, whatever, or that way that inst- when that wave comes, instead of instead of getting knocked off their off their uh, little boat they they anyway, fuck, I, obviously I, I know nothing about any sports <laughs> i'm gonna just uh, leave it right there no I, I kept running into uh jim mckay who was prepping the next episode uh so he was there prepping while i was shooting and i kept crossing paths him in various times and i'd just be like jim because I'd, I'd worked with him last season and i was just like jim i don't, I don't know how you do this how how exactly that sense because he's yeah, he is so easy and so just like okay, hey, let's let's do this. As he has he's a process. He knows what he's doing. He can analyze the scenes very quickly, and he just seems so relaxed to my, to my mind, to my eye. Just like okay, all right, let's let's do it. Let's try it again. Quiet, soft spoken, knows exactly what he's doing. I'm just like Jim, how how? And he's like, eh, just I've just done it a lot. He's like, you know. <laughs> He, I just have just, a lot of just experience, that, Corey. No, he's, he's just, really he's, good at this. No, he's, oh, that's that's he's like, oh, that but, he, but he could say, like, <laughs> yeah, I know, I feel. No he's like, it is, a, yeah. it, it is, a, you know, a, there is that pressure on you, and that it is, it, it's different, and you have to, he's like, you get used to it in some way. But Speak, You know, speaking of pressure, unfortunately, the elf has burned all our time. Oh, Dirty elf. So I want to thank you guys for coming in on yet another rainy Saturday in Los Angeles <laughs> and right. or an undisclosed location. We need that. We need that rain. It's all good. We do big time. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you guys for, for listening and, and, uh, and watching the show. We really, it really means a lot to us that you guys watch and, and, and love and at the show and, and talk about it. Um, so we wouldn't be here without you. Thanks yeah. right. very thank much. You. And I guess we'll, we'll have to find out what happens, uh, to Mike next week. Yeah. And, uh, Gordon, how about Gordon? No, I think peasant Patrick done it. I've, I've done it. You have done it? Yeah. Well, then let's definitely have Patrick. Yeah. Too. What am I going to do? Take us out? Uh, you're going to take us out with your best Saul Goodman, Better Call Saul. Sure. One, two, three. On my go. Here we go. Yeah. Better Call Saul. Yeah. Oh, yay. Smooth <laughs> as silk. And happy birthday. Happy Thank birthday, you. Patrick.